0: Adam, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm so grateful to be joined by a fellow SAE from Binghamton. It's so funny. Noah Kagan is your mutual friend, my mutual friend, connected us, and I go to stalk your LinkedIn and I see, wow, this guy went to Binghamton. That's interesting. Oh, wow. He was in the same fraternity as me. That's interesting. So it's cool to have you here. It's cool to connect everything, God's plan in every moment. So thank you for joining me here. Yeah, man.
1: I'm excited to be here. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah. So I think a good place to start this conversation would be you graduating Binghamton and I believe working an accounting job. Yep. Take me through that decision. It's a very common career path for someone to go from Binghamton to work for a big four or an accounting type job. And yeah, take me through that decision to do that initially, because I think that will uh, set the stage for what you've done over the past 15 years.
1: Yeah, so growing up, I think uh, my parents always encouraged me to be an accountant. It was a safe and secure job. Um, it was about security, comfort. Um, so I majored in accounting uh, at Binghamton, uh, got a job at Ernst Young, worked there for two years. Within the first week of work, I had a stomach ache walking to work. Um, it was terrible. Like, it would, literally within the first week, I was like, I can't do this. Wow. Um, health and fitness has always been a passion of mine. Um, so I always knew I wanted to do something in that. I just didn't know how it. End up in it hmm. um, but yeah, for, for starting Ernst Young was about comfort and security
0: hmm. and so you knew within the first week all right, this is not this is not for me. how long does it take you to listen to that intuition?
1: It took me two years Wow um, I was absolutely miserable throughout those two years, but I was plotting what I was going to do next um, and I knew health and fitness was what it was going to be I just didn't know how it was going to look. Hmm. And so, like, take me through the decision. A lot of people are right now
0: in a position of doing something that they don't like doing. They know they shouldn't be doing. They have a gut intuition that says, I shouldn't be doing this. But they're still doing it. So, like, what, how do you go about making a decision for a change?
1: Yeah, I think you have to be uh, – there's two ways. You can go full-time and you can just give up your job. Hmm. Um, but I actually would recommend doing it on the side. Um, because it's hard to do your best work when you're worried about money, when you, you're starving, you're fearful. So I would recommend doing it on the side until you can do that enough and then eventually stop your main thing. And you ended up not doing that, though. Right. <laughs> I quit full time. I went cold turkey. My mom thought I was absolutely nuts. Um, but it was just something I had to do. I, I just I knew I had to do it. Why why'd you know so clearly like that was not the path for you? Well, health and fitness has always been my passion, as I said. So growing up, my father was sick. When I was in seventh grade, I, I, I witnessed him having a heart attack. Me and my sister drove him to the hospital. Um, shortly after that, a few days later, he had a triple bypass surgery. Um, and then later that year, he was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. Um, so seeing him deteriorate mentally and physically throughout the years until he passed away it was really, really hard. Um, so for me, health and fitness is way more than just health and fitness. It was life. It was, you know, I realized early on that you know, health is true wealth. Um, that without it, nothing means anything, right? So, um, for me, it was just a calling. Um, my business now is my life's work. It is way more than a business. Um, so, it was just something I had to do. It was I, I almost felt this pressure within um, where I had to just pursue it. What's that feel like as a seventh grader, and like as a high
0: schooler? Like, what did did you? When did your dad pass away? Yeah, and and like when did it? How did that impact you?
1: So there's a lot of, you know, a lot of emotions. I mean, I think first and foremost, I think as a child, I remember just always being like, this sucks. I can't really play with my dad. Cause even when he was alive, like he wasn't healthy. He couldn't really move around that well. Mm -hmm. Um, So I remember feeling a little resentment about that. And just like, I wish I could play with my dad. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's also a part of me that's like, I feel like I'm the parent here and we're taking care of him. Mm -hmm. Um, And he was the child in a way. Um, So I think it was a lot of that and it just, really inspired me and made me want to never put my kids in a position, uh, you know, that similar, uh, similar position.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And what lessons did you, are you trying to instill in your children right now? We'll get into My Body Tutor and the building of that and how that's gone. But from a parenting perspective, what, what are the most impactful lessons you want your kids to know?
1: Well, in a way, I want my kids to take me for granted in that I'm always there. Um, I'm always down to play. Like, you know, my weakness is like when they say, Daddy, you want to play? Like, I will never say no to that. Um, I never want to say, no, I'm too tired. Mm. Like, I heard that all the time as a kid, right? So whenever, like, I will never say I'm too tired. Like, no matter what, I will always play with them. And part of the reason why I try to stay in shape is because that's so important to me. I always want to be able to play with them. I always want them to have memories of, you know, Daddy was always willing to play, always wanted to play with us. Yeah. So...
0: Going into Noah, right? Like, how do you know Noah? What's the connection
1: there? So I started My Body Tutor in 2007, quit Ernst Young. My mom, again, thought I was absolutely nuts. Um, And I think the lesson there, though, is you really have to be willing to give up comfort and security to Mm -hmm. pursue your dream, right? And that that was one thing that I had to get over. Um, But started in 2007, and just, you know, in the early days, I would just kind of reach out to people. Me and Noah both had blogs back then. Um, And, you know, we kind of became friendly through there. Um, And every now and then we would talk and I would say, hey, whenever you want help, I'm ready to, you know, I would love to help you. Uh, Eventually, probably about two, three years in, maybe not even, he signed up as a client. Um, I worked with him myself and we became just really, really close friends um, through years of working together, just, you know, on fitness and everything. Yeah, that's super cool.
0: But let's take it back to the first client. And what is that experience like? I think you were charging like like 25 bucks or like 75 bucks for a six weeks plan is that correct? Yeah, exactly. Right, 75 for a six week plan, <laughs> which probably took you what like 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 hours to compile. So, like working for like nothing, yeah. Why were you and you didn't have a job at this point, so like, why? And I want to go into the growth strategies and tactics that you did in the early days using Facebook accounts of different people from different places, but what what about those first few clients do you remember and do you hold on to
1: so i remember i had my aim um like name on the website what was it uh gq guild <laughs> just something i had my sister made for me in fifth grade nice. um and it was on, like that was when people you know still used name and i had it on the website and people i would message people all day long um and i remember just like being like always like hey give me a chance if you don't see results, we'll give you your money back. Like that was my whole like thing. It was just give me a chance. If you don't see results, we'll give you your money back. And just one by one, built up a, a steady client roster. Um, so much so that, you know, I started in January 2007. By April 2007, you know, I kind of had to stop taking on clients because we were so busy. Wow,
0: but like what made your service
1: so good, do you think? Well. The- it was a daily accountability, so daily support. So we're not just giving our clients a plan. Every single day, we're supporting them, we're coaching them, we're guiding them, and we're holding them accountable. Mm. right? So my belief, even back then, was a lack of knowledge isn't the real issue. For the most part, it's mm. a lack of consistent action. Right? For the most part, we know what's good for us, we know what's not good for us. Mm-hmm. The real issue is, why can't we do it consistently? Mm-hmm. So my obsession is figuring out why that is right? And part of that is accountability on a daily basis. Yeah. I've, I found that so often as well in my
0: own life. When I tweet about something, I let people know this is what I'm doing. I have that accountability from the people who are following me on Twitter so that I'm more likely to do it. What, what is it about accountability that just makes us act? It's like, we're not single creatures. We're like, we're all acting together. What have you found about accountability that's so impactful?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think we're all very good at making promises to ourselves and breaking them and we're also good at making promises to other people but we hate breaking those mm. right and when there's other people involved there's ego involved there's all sorts of things that are involved and you know a lot of people though will break promises themselves but when it comes to other people they will do anything and everything to make to keep those promises and i think that's one of the reasons why accountability is so important and effective
0: hmm. yeah it's interesting what what about building my body tutor in the early days do you look back and you say wow like this was a pretty cool thing we did or I think this could be impactful for somebody who's building a business or a company today.
1: I mean uh, the, the thing that sticks out is just the one-to-one conversations I had with potential clients, right? It was just like instant messaging. I literally, I remember, I remember one of my first clients, my name was Simi, it was like for hours we were going back and forth. And she's like, I don't know if this is a scam. How do I know? And I'm like, I promise you just trust me. Like, give me a try. Um, and it was just like, just that was it. It was just give me a chance. Um, and it was just like, you know, me trying to, you know, persuade people to give us a chance. And it was risk free. So it's like, if you didn't see results, then, you know, we give you your money back. And to this day, we still offer our money back just because I really believe if you, you know, if you promise what you, if you really believe in what you offer and, and you, you know, we make a promise. If it doesn't work, we'll give you your money back. And this was at a time, 2007,
0: when nobody really done online coaching. Like today, you go on Instagram, you see hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of people offering some sort of online coaching and it's pretty well known and established what that means. But in 2007, you're convincing someone who doesn't even know what it is to do it. So how have you seen that progress
1: over the last 15 years? Yeah, it's wild. There was no such thing. No one was offering accountability for anything. So most people back then, it was courses were really huge. So a lot of people were selling information. Hmm. Um, And I, you know, I didn't believe information was the real issue. Of course, we tell our clients what to do, what not to do, et cetera. But I always felt it was, again, the lack of implementation. Mm. Um, so back then, it was more courses. It was not accountability. And then slowly but surely, you would hear like, hey, actually, no one's actually following through on these courses. They're not finishing the courses. Right? They're just purchasing these things that are you know, 1000 bucks or 2000 bucks. No action is being taken. No change is being made. And it's like, well, what's the solution? And then people realize accountability is the solution. Knowledge is what will add on to the accountability. Um so that was back then, you know, so I think I was, I know I was, you know, there was no one offering accountability back then, but throughout the years people have caught on, they realize accountability is effective. Um, so there's definitely more of it.
0: What was, what were some of the inspirations for one, starting the blog in the early days? Cause you could have done a YouTube channel. You could have, I mean, maybe Twitter was just starting out, but like choosing a blog, why'd you start a blog back in the day? And who were some of your inspirations at that time who were other bloggers, maybe Noah was one of them, but break that down for me.
1: Yeah, so I just always enjoyed writing. Um, mm-hmm. My mom's a former high school English teacher, um, so uh, she pushed me in my writing. So I just enjoyed sharing my thoughts. Um, I had a lot of uh, original ideas that, you know, that I wanted to share. Um, so I just thought you know, a blog was the best medium for that. Um, people who inspired me, Noah, I mean, we kind of met each other because we both had a blog, but I would say my biggest inspiration back then was probably Seth Godin. Nice. Um, so th- Seth, you know, I actually have been fortunate to meet him a number of times. Um, and I just felt what what he was doing, he was sharing his thoughts. And you could just see, like, how you start to develop a relationship with this person that you didn't even meet and you feel like you know them. Um, and it was just really powerful. Um, well, and then eventually I did meet him a bunch of times. But Yeah,
0: what were some of the lessons you took from Seth Godin back in the days?
1: The biggest lesson I, I took was write how you speak because I would always try to, like, write so perfectly in this, like, perfect, you know, you know, sentence structure and this and that. And it's like, then you just never do it. So it's just like, write how you speak, be you. Um, You know, and that, that worked well, thankfully.
0: Yeah. I remember, I think, talking to you on the phone and you saying how you didn't really want to get on social media for a long time. And you recently kind of flipped your perspective on that. Take me through that decision to realize or to want to put yourself out there with social media and why you didn't for so long.
1: Yeah, I have, I have a, a very love-hate relationship with social media. Um, you know, we built, you know, a beautiful, substantial business without social media. But it's just throughout these years, you see all these charlatans that are just sharing this information. Like, what are you sharing? This is not correct. This is not helpful. This is not accurate. And it's just like a lot of people, you know, the first place they go to now is social media versus Google, mm-hmm. right? So it's like, oh, what's his social me- what's their social media presence? And it's like if you don't have much of a presence, people don't think you're in business or they don't think you're doing well. Um, and it was also, there was always a part of me that's like, I never wanted to be one of those guys that's like constantly showing my, myself with my shirt off or like, just like, and I realized I don't have to do that. I can do me. I can do it how I want to do it. Um, and it ultimately, the, the thing that switched for me is like, I want MBT to realize its full potential mm. and not realizing its full potential is my biggest fear. Mm. And I just realized social media is one of those tools that we have to, you know, explore and, and go all in on. When I listened to a
0: podcast, you and Noah talking about your journey, he described you as a very disciplined and consistent person. When you start with social media, that's breaking up some of the discipline and consistency in other areas of your life. What have you seen that you've sacrificed as a result of being online and being on social media?
1: I think it's just, you know, I don't know if I'm sacrificing. It's more just, you know, a mindset shift for me. It's just like, hey, we need to be out there. This is going to help us Um, you know, just building it, making the time for it, right? Um, And then eventually outsourcing that, like, you know, I write the content, someone posts it and things like that. Because a a fear of mine was like, I don't want to spend all day long just posting stuff. Like, that's just, you know, so we, you know, in the last, you know, five months, whatever, we hired someone who does that. And that takes it away from me, you know, because I don't want to be on social media all day long.
0: Yeah. And when you think about like who inspires you on social, who is doing social media right from your perspective where you could say, all right, like that person's got an audience that I respect and appreciate
1: and I would like to have one of those too. I mean, I always loved how Noah did social media. I just think he's, you know, very relatable, super smart. Um, He doesn't uh, pretend he's someone he's not, Um, you know, so I think I I would say Noah just I, I always loved how he did it you know, other than that, like I wasn't really, I wasn't following too many people on social media. Um, so yeah.
0: Yeah. makes sense. And you're looking at my body tutor now, 15 years in business. How, what, when you think about the early days and you think about now, how different is the business 15 years later than you expected it to be?
1: I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's a dream of my business. It's the business of my dreams. Yeah. Um. You know. I. You know. I always hoped and thought it would be. You know, like this. People thought it would. Ne- it was never possible.
0: Who? Who? Th- who were some of the people who? So in the early
1: days, it's like, hey, here's my plan. You know, uh, I want to offer. I want to help people stay consistent. Right. That's the real issue. And I want to do that through daily support, daily coaching, daily guidance, and accountability. And I just want to offer one. You know, core offering which we do, which we always have um, and just build a team of world-class coaches to service those people that need our service and want our service. Um, so back then it was just me doing the coaching and then slowly but surely we built up a team. We have over 75 coaches now. Um, you know, we have a team, you know, a full-time, you know, executive team, you know, um, and it's just, it's incredible. And we're all very much aligned in what we're trying to do. We know exactly what we are as a company, what we're not. Um, so it's just, you know, it's a lot more management. It's a lot more, um, you know, uh, I'm doing less coaching, but it's in a way I'm coaching coaches and coaching other people, um, which is still, of course, really fun. Um, so it's, it, it, it's it's different, um, you know. Yeah. How
0: does one need to change as a business progresses and the things that you're doing that excite you when you started aren't the things that you end up doing later on as a, a manager of sorts?
1: Yeah, so I I call that like the restaurant, you know, uh, the famous, you know, restaurateur problem. It's like, you know, someone who is a chef, you know, they're really, really good. And eventually, if you know, they might get their own TV show or they might, you know, they're a judge on a show. And then suddenly they're no longer cooking. And all they like doing is cooking. Right. So I make sure I love being a coach. Like, first and foremost, I love coaching. So I always make sure I have a a small roster of clients. How many? Um, like five to 10. Gotcha. Um, just, I love, I love coaching. I love being, you know, my hands in the weeds, um, so to speak. And, you know, I, I don't want to lose that. So I make sure I'm always coaching clients. Yeah.
0: That that's a really smart way to do it. When you think about, you know, where you see this going, is it to have 750 coaches? Is it, is it just to like have my body tutor gyms? Like, where is the, the vision
1: for all of this? You know, our, so first off, we've never had a revenue goal. It's it's always for us is just world class coaches, right? So for us, we want you know a certain amount of world class coaches, um, and we want to just keep serving people the way we are because I truly believe what people need um, is coaching. Like I just think consistency is the issue, right? It's not a magic bottle, it's not a magic pill or special food, yeah. you know, or some whatever diet that we haven't heard of, right? It's just about being consistent, It's about behavior modification, and I truly believe that what we offer is the best way to do that so it's just about doing more of what we're doing um and just scaling it up who's your favorite coach of all time uh so i would say probably uh greg popovich Mm -hmm. of the spurs yeah um just because yes he's had some incredible hall of fame players um but what i love about popovich over say phil jackson i'm a huge basketball fan love the nba um you know popovich has a system and he fits the system to fit the players. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think you know the argument against Phil Jackson is he co- coached you know arguably the greatest player of all time, right? And then he coached Kobe Bryant and Shaquille O'Neal, and it's like, has he won without you know the best players? You know, I mean, those are some of the top ten players of all time. Um, Tim Duncan might be in there, but other than that, like he's won championships without top ten players, mm. right? And he's he builds a system for the players. Whereas I think Phil Jackson's here's my system, but it only works. If you're, you know, one of the best players ever. Yeah. I mean, he tried to implement that system with the Knicks and that did not go well. And as a Knicks fan, that was horrible. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, that's a really good point. I never thought about the two coaches from that perspective. So, okay,
0: you, you have a client roster of five to 10 people always just keeping your coaching skills on point. What are some of the most common problems people face when they come to you?
1: Yeah. And I think this will be applicable to any facet in life. So, I mean, number one is self-sabotage. Mm. Um, I think self-sabotage is absolutely fascinating. Um, you know, and ultimately what self-sabotage is, I've learned is it's, it's the fear of what you say you want, right? So you claim you want something, right? But there's a part of you that's fearful of it, right? So let's say we'll take a small business owner, right? A small business owner, you know, they want to grow, they want to serve more people, they want to help people, right? But on, on another level, Almost every small business owner thinks they have the weight of the world on their shoulders, right? They have very little free time. Um, They think if they get busier, they're going to have even less free time, right? So they can take all the, you know, they can buy all the courses, all the books, listen to the podcast, hire the best coaches. But on some level, they feel like if they grow, they're going to have less free time, right? So ultimately, they feel like if they get to where they want to be or where they claim they want to be, their life is going to be worse off, not better off right? So when it comes back to weight loss, there's people who use being overweight as a security blanket, right? Because a lot of people, it's like, well, when I lose weight, then I'll have to, you know, start dating or do this or quit my job or pursue this path or whatever it is. And they use the weight as a security blanket. So if they were to lose the weight, they wouldn't have that security blanket anymore. So when it comes to pursuing your dream, whatever it is, if it's business or pot, whatever it is, like you have to believe your life is going to be better off, not worse off when you reach your goal. So the, you
0: said self sabotage is one. Yes. What are some of the other problems that people? And I, I love how you said self sabotage because self sabotage is encompassing of so many different problems that people have, and it's the core at so so much so so many times people can say, oh, like I actually don't want to lose weight for this reason or this reason or I'm scared of this, and they're eating wrong, but at the core of that is the self sabotage. So like. Self-sabotage is one thing. What are other ways people
1: go about um, the problems that they have? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people are just like, I call them like tactic chasers. Mm -hmm. They're just like obsessed with the latest and greatest. And they're avoiding the tried and true. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's like, hey, what about, you know, it's like one client's like, hey, I heard about, you you know, paleo and intermittent fasting with keto. Can we put that all together? It's like, no, it doesn't work like that. Um, you know, let's actually focus on changing your behaviors, change your relationship with food, changing your mindset, psychology and habits, because so much of success, whether it's fitness, business or anything is, you know, what's going on between our ears. Yeah. Right. And, um, so, you know, it's, it's helping them go from, you know, the people like I've tried everything under the sun to, Hey, let's pick one thing and stick with it. When in your life have
0: you felt like
1: you were sabotaging yourself the most? So I think early on, actually, there was part of me that was... I don't, I don't I, there was part of me that was scared of the growth of the business because I felt really overworked. Hmm. Um, and I just, I'm like, well, what happens if we, you know, if so many clients like sign up, how would we handle it? Right. So until I had the systems in place, until I had the people in place, there was a part of me that was holding back. I, I kind of was like holding the brakes a little bit. You think on social media too, like that perspective? The social media, we can go down a whole rabbit hole. Of that, I mean, <laughs> that, that was also just like, it just bothers me. Again, there's so many charlatans out there, yeah. so much, misinformation shared um but what not one person's perspective be that when they see that initially to be
0: like all right like i'm gonna say the right information immediately and another person might be like i don't want to be involved with that at all right but you know one one person could have looked
1: at that and been like taking yeah. the opposite perspective totally totally um but yes i mean to your, to your original qu- i mean it's just like i think until i knew and i felt confident 100 percent confident in our systems and our people hmm. then there was a part of me was always kind of holding the brakes a little bit
0: how do you go about creating the systems for your
1: business? So one of my weird goals is like most of the people that work um, on MBT have actually been clients. And I just love that because it's like they believe in what we offer so much that they open up their wallets or paying for it. And they just understand the transformative power of what we offer. Yeah. Um, so like our entire E-team uh, were clients.
0: You said um, E-team? Our Executive
1: team. Gotcha. Um, besides our head coach, Haley. So we have John. John was a client. Jeremy was a client. Um, like they're incredible. Haley's our head coach. So like two out of the four. And then we have Lori, you know, two out of the, you know, five of us, are, I mean, John and Jeremy were clients. Um, so they believe in what we do so much and they, and they believe in the mission. Um, so for me, I was always patient because I really do believe patience plus consistency is an unbeatable combination. Um, and I was willing to be patient because I know that the right hires Matter so much and the wrong hires can derail you so you know even worse mm. um so it took time but like john i remember uh he was a client He was you know he, he was a software engineer and i'm like you know we got to talking and then slowly but surely he started helping me and you know next thing you know he was a full-time uh you know uh employee for us how
0: do those meetings go down to turn someone from a paying customer to now someone who's going to be a coach what is
1: that transition like so paying customer to coach um we have we have a few of our coaches were clients, but John and Jeremy are not coaches. They're like, you know, John's in, in tech, uh, Jeremy's in marketing. Gotcha. Um, so, but, but for that, it's more like I can see, I can sense their passion hmm. um, and they can obviously sense mine. So it's just this like back and forth of like fireworks, right? Just like, you know, how you felt like, you know, it's just like you feel that um, and it's like, hey, how do we do more of this? Um, and that's really how it started.
0: Yeah, that, that's beautiful. I was just talking to Sid, from circle and he was saying the same exact thing of like his the way that he knew he was in the right place was the conversations that he was having were so exciting to him that he just needed to be in that room more so like for you what, what are examples of of like you
1: talking to some people and being like oh my god this is this is exactly where i'm supposed to be in this moment yeah i mean so like every monday we have a, a meeting with our with our executive team and it's just like every meeting almost is about like how do we improve the client experience how do we get close to where we want to be? And it's like, by the end of the meeting, it's like, I feel like just high, right? I'm just like, so like, why what's going on there? It's just like, how do we improve the product? How do we improve the service? How do we do more of what we want to do? And it's just, I mean, to me, it's just like, I'm so committed to what we're doing. So it's just like, I have this vision, this mission that I want to pursue. And it's like, if we're talking about that, that just lights me up.
0: Do you have that in like a clear,
1: concise, like, what is that vision or mission? Of M B T. Yeah. So it's you know a uh, hundred world class coaches. Um, that that's that's what it is right now. I want a hundred world class coaches. Is no revenue? Go- There's no talk about revenue. There's no talk about cost. It's I want a hundred world class coaches, and then everything else we want to do will take care. Will take care of itself.
0: Are you at seventy five right now? It's not. Doesn't sound too far away. It feels like you could do that very quickly. No.
1: Yes, but it's also you know we our bar for coaches is very high. Gotcha. Um, it's not easy to find you know twenty five. Um, world-class coaches. And, 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 you know, we're working on that every day.
0: What makes a world-class
1: coach for MBT? Um, So someone who is extremely dedicated, extremely reliable, um, someone who is intuitive, someone who understands people, um, someone who um, is incredibly consistent themselves, um, someone who understands how to help someone get out of their own way. Mm. Right. So it has to be so much more than just, like the nuts and bolts of nutrition, like here's what to eat, here's what not to eat. Like that's what most people do, right? And that's also what Google does. Hmm. But it also has to be, hey, how do we help someone change their MPH, as we like to say. M for mindset, P for psychology, and H for habits. Um, Because that's where the secret sauce is. What were those three again? M for mindset. M for mindset. P for psychology. Psychology. And H for habits. Okay. MPH. Mindset, psychology, habits.
0: Right. I'm sure there was a lot of work to get into that, Those three words right there. Yeah.
1: So let's break those down. What is mindset all about? So mindset is like, are you the type of person that, you know, the second you have or the moment you don't lose weight, are you are you bailing? Mm. Or are you the say, are you the type of person that's like, all right, well, let's let's evaluate what's going on. Let's turn up the effort dial. Let's not turn it down and let's find a new path and keep going. Right. That's an example of mindset. Or mindset is like, am I going from one diet to the next, you know, and never sticking with anything versus I'm going to commit once and for all to this and I'm going to do whatever it takes, right? Mm-hmm. Those are examples of mindsets, like different types of, you know, mindsets. Um, psychology is more like, let's talk about fear of failure, fear of success, which is more surprising. You know, you wouldn't think that that is very, it's a lot more common than you would think, mm-hmm. right? So fear of failure, fear of success, all or nothing thinking, um, self-sabotage, um, Those are the types of things when it comes to psychology that we address with our clients. Um, And then habits is like, hey, you know, every day, ideally, you brush your teeth. That's a habit, right? How do we develop other habits? How do we cultivate other habits? Um, Whether it's, you know, uh, going for a walk or getting some movement in or, you know, having some fruit, whatever it might be. Those are the types of habits. Like, those those are examples of habits.
0: Yeah, I like that. Mindset, psychology, habits. I'm going to use that. How have you used that framework to... Help yourself in other areas of your life and not just fitness
1: so like i believe any worthwhile journey in life is going to have what i call I, I love these acronyms i i'm always so the acronym king over <laughs> here adam gilbert <laughs> any worthwhile journey in life is going to have what i call fdr right fear discomfort doubt and resistance right so if mm-hmm. fdr fear discomfort doubt and resistance any worthwhile journey is going to have that and when i when we're even when we're embarking on something new for mbt or whatever it might be like I feel the resistance within me right and I think being aware of that is so helpful and one of my kind of core you know philosophies is like turn towards it right most people they feel that that resistance they kind of run away from it they recoil they hide from it when I feel that resistance I know something good is percolating I know I should go into it mm-hmm. um, so that's an example where it's like I, I, I'm very well aware of my psychology and if I feel it, if I feel that resistance and you feel it, sometimes it's mental, sometimes it's it's a physical thing. I go towards it. I turn towards it.
0: Mm. You sound like Superman. Give us an example of you failing to do that.
1: Um, well, like failing to do it would be like there's, an, you know, there was, you know, an initiative we were trying to take an MBT and I was just I was just not I didn't believe in it. I was just I was very resistant to it. Mm. Um, it was some sort of, you know, referral thing we were trying to do. And I'm just like, I don't think this is going to work. And like. I mean, that's more of an example, just I guess I didn't believe in it. Hmm. Um, but I guess, was, which leads me to like, you know, I talk about hope a lot. Um, and hope is obviously really powerful. And I think there's also a formula for hope. And here's another acronym for it: Let's go. CPA, right? So C is a clear and defined uh, outcome, right? P for a pathway to reach that outcome. And A is actually believing you can follow the path, hmm. right? And what we do for our clients is we help them develop a... You know their their objective or their outcome. We develop a path for them, and then most importantly, we make sure they believe they can follow it, right? So if you're in, you know, to those people listening or watching, like when you're on, when you're on your journey, if you don't feel hopeful with what you're doing, mm. like and ultimately that means, do you feel like this is, do you feel like you can stick with this? Do you feel like this is realistic? Do you feel like this is going to get you closer where you want to be? And you, and you find yourself starting and stopping, I would, I would encourage you to make sure you feel hopeful, right? Mm. Again, have a clear and defined outcome. Have a pathway to reach that goal and make sure you can actually believe, make sure you believe you can follow the pathway.
0: How do you maintain hope when you've achieved some of the things that you set out to do initially? For example, like it's very easy for an NBA player to feel hopeful when they're on a winning team and they're excited and then they win the championship, right? And th- how do they then feel hopeful to do it again? And I guess not to get complacent. So for you, it's like, how do you feel hopeful? A- I'm sure at one point you said, I just want to have 10 coaches or I just want to have five. Yeah. And then you've, you've done that. Now you have 75. So it's like, how do you maintain hope after you've achieved something?
1: Yeah. I mean, the self, you know, the, the complacency thing is something I think a lot about it because I do think, um, I think the very thing that makes us want to achieve things can also make us not appreciate where we are. Mm. And that's a constant battle because like, you know, success without fulfillment, success without appreciation is misery. Mm. Um, and like, I think most of us are always looking at the at the mountain in front of us versus where we came from mm-hmm. and it's something i actively work on um but it's also to me it's a mission right to me um when you're on a mission to serve people to you know build this thing with coaches etc then it's easy to keep going i think you know to, to your point about the nba player if your goal is you know to make the nba or win a championship then i think you might lose some of that steam right but if your goal is like you know, I want to be one of the best players ever. I want to win multiple rings. Then, you know, I think you, you're like, well, we're just getting started.
0: Mm. For you, you said you, work, you actively work on that. What are some of the ways you work on that and make sure that's a part of your daily thought patterns or your, your weekly reviews? Like, how do you go about building that in?
1: Yeah. So one of the things is I just share like milestones with my wife, and I know this might sound ridiculous, but it's just like sometimes it's just like you don't even talk. It's like, oh, great. We hit this. All right. What's next? Right. So even just actively sharing it. Yeah. Right. Sharing with close friends, talking about it like that is important. Just like recognizing it. Right. We'll go out to dinner. Hey, we hit this. We did this. Like to me, that's important because it's like, oh, you remember we went to dinner for this X, Y or Z. Yeah. Um, I journal a lot. I just write down like, hey, how, how does it feel? Um, But again, it's, I'm, you know, it's definitely an active, something I'm actively working on. Um, It's tricky. It's definitely tricky.
0: So how old are you? I'm 39, turning 40 in February. Wow. Okay. So you're, you're 39 years old. A lot of people who listen to this podcast are anywhere from 15 to 35. So like, what are some of the common mistakes you saw, not only yourself, but also your peers make in their 20s?
1: Yeah, so one of the mistakes I made at first, because I always knew I wanted to own my own thing. I always knew I wanted to do my own thing. I felt like unless I could start the next Google or the next Facebook or whatever it was, it wasn't worth starting. Hmm. So, and for years I was like just paralyzed. Like this isn't big enough. This isn't going to be big enough. Um, Because I wanted to make an impact. Like I truly wanted to make an impact. Like, you know, I come from a family of teachers. My mom was a teacher. My aunt, like all these people were teachers. Um... And that was really important to me, and, and until I finally said, you know what, small is the new big, mm-hmm. and instead of going big, go small, go as small as you possibly can, and just do what you love, that's when, you know, it was kind of like the doors blew open, and I was like, oh yes, that's the idea. So, to all those people out there, I'd say, go small, mm-hmm. right, and just focus on doing what you love, Um we've all heard it, but like, if you do what you love, that is the real reward. Mm -hmm. That's the real reward. I mean, I remember when I was Ernst Young, I was miserable. You know, I talked about the stomach, like I had a stomach every day, like doing what I love is the reward. How do you find what you love? So I guess from an early age, I was lucky in that I was exposed to sickness and I try to look at it that way. You know, I knew what I didn't want for my life. um, And I just became very passionate about health and fitness. how do you find – I think it's what lights you up, what you gravitate towards when, you know, on your free time. Um, but that said, you know, I love reading about the NBA in my free time too. I don't think I can necessarily get paid for that, right? So I think it has to meet – you know, what you like doing has to meet with an uh, you know, an opportunity, um, you know, as well. It can't just be what you're passionate about.
0: You don't think you could have made it as an NBA reporter or uh, like – a, a coach or an assistant coach. Why why was that not something that you thought about, even though it's
1: something you love? Yeah, I, I don't know. It's an interesting question. It was just never on my radar. Um, I don't know. I just never really thought about it. To me, it was like, if, if I can't make the NBA, then I'm done. I'll just be a fan. <laughs> Unfortunately, my uh, career ended as a varsity basketball player. That was it. Um, yeah, I don't know. I never thought about that. Um, but I guess, you know, I was a weirdo in that, like, I just started working out early on. And I was just always like, you know, passionate about fitness, passionate about nutrition. Um, and like, I mean, since like fourth, fifth grade, really. Do
0: you think like that's something that like, where does that get instilled in you? I think for me, it was because of my father. Yeah, um, But fourth, fifth grade, you knew that he was having health issues and complications at that time?
1: Yeah. So like, got I you. mean, well, yes. And, you know, um, yes. So there, there was things going on then too. So like I, and my parents got divorced Um, so, like, I always felt like I had to be the man of the house, Mm. so I always wanted to, like, kind of have this, like, you know, I wanted to be strong and protect my family if necessary, Um, so I think it started with that, too. What does that feel like, being, like, in fourth, fifth grade
0: and feeling like you have additional responsibility on your shoulders? How does that impact you in middle school, high school? I'm I'm just fascinated by this because I didn't grow up in, in this type of situation, but a lot of people do get raised in this type of situation, so, like,
1: what did you learn about yourself in during that time? So I learned that we're all way more powerful and stronger than we think. Hmm. Um, I've learned that. Um, I've learned that uh, you know you need to. Um, you could look at things two ways, right? It can either be a blessing, or it could be a curse, right? And there were times where I felt like I felt like I had it unfair, but I chose to look at it for the most part as a blessing, um, and I realized like the. Like I could, the cards were dealt a certain way. I could either, you know, cry about it and be upset about it, or I can make the most of it. Um, so for me, it's like I chose to make the most of it, um, you know, and, and that's that's just the way it was. I, I didn't see any alternative.
0: Have you been able to help other people in that specific type of situation?
1: You know, I've, I've had conversations throughout the years, but it hasn't, something, it hasn't been like a focus of mine. Um, Why not? I don't know. I, just, I guess it just never really came up or I never really, you know... Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It just never really came up that much or I didn't, you know, people didn't seek me out for that. Do you think that that is an area you could really help
0: people in in the future of like if they're in a situation where their father passes away or they're in a situation where they feel like they need to be the man of the house at a young age? Do you think that's a situation or somewhere where you could provide value to people in the future? Sure. I mean, that, that's that's something potentially. Yeah. Yeah. And like... What advice would you have for somebody listening to this who's, like, in high school or,
1: or in middle school and they feel that? So this might sound cold, but I think I could say because I lived yeah, through it. Yeah. Um, and there's some people with clinical depression, all sorts of things, right? Mm. So I don't want to, like, discount that. I know there's going to be like, oh, I'm clinically... De-. But, like, if you're in a really bad funk, if things are not going the way you are, uh, the way you want, I think ultimately therapy mm. is you fighting reality therapy is you fighting reality right it's just you talking with someone and you just why did this happen why is he or she like this why is this like that why you're just fighting reality right and reality is essentially just you know what is right it it just happened right my father passed away um whereas i think the healthiest thing you can do is work to accept that reality ideally embrace it and even better love the reality Hmm. um And that would be my advice is work on accepting it because the more you fight reality, the more you're going to suffer, right? The more you wish things were a different way and hope they were like, you're just fighting reality Mm -hmm. and you can either love what is, you know, or you can fight what is. And I choose to love what is because otherwise you're going to suffer.
0: What do you say to people then who have been to therapy and they look at what reality is and it helps them find a new perspective?
1: Perfect. That's great. And if that's if 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 and that's what therapy ultimately is, right? I, I think a breakthrough is you're thinking about ways and you're thinking about things in a different way, mm. right? And if therapy does that, then that's perfect because you need to ultimately, in order to move past the mental roadblock, right? It's a mental roadblock in your head. How do we get past this? You need to think about it in a different way. And if therapy does that, then perfect. That's great. That's the idea of therapy is to have a breakthrough. Is to think about things in a different way.
0: Did you have a, a bad experience with therapy?
1: No, I mean, I, I, I didn't... Um, I remember when my parents got divorced, my mom, like, we, she took us through a therapist. I went, like, once or twice. It didn't do much for me. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, for me, it's just... I always felt like we can either, you know, this is what it is, or we can fight what it is. I choose to be on this side.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, no, it's interesting how people have different perspectives on it, on therapy, and how it helps people, how it doesn't, how, you know, people are against it or for yeah,
1: it. Yeah, and I want to be very clear. I'm not, I'm not against it at all. Okay. I just think, ultimately, like a lot of therapy or, or some of therapy, I should say, just to, is like, it's just your fighting reality. And I think if you can come to the terms with like cats meow, dogs bark and whatever happened, happened. And of course there's certain things that are just awful and horrific yeah. and you can't just accept, you need to, you need work on accepting it. Um, but the sooner you can do that, the happier you'll be.
0: Last time we spoke on the phone, we mentioned therapy or uh, meditation rather. And you said that was one area you wanted to improve. How are you doing on your
1: meditation journey?
0: It's hard, man. <laughs>
1: you know, for me, sitting still is really, really hard. Yeah. Um, I prefer active th- active meditation. Hmm. Um, so for me, like, I find lifting weights is a meditation for me. I find concentrating on my muscles, you know, and uh, just feeling my body move is, for me, that works. I-, I spent a lot of time just trying to sit still, and it just it didn't work, and it caused more, uh, you know, grief and, and, and more guilt than than it, was, it wasn't it was doing anything. Take me through that. What what happened? What do you think was, was happening that it was causing you more grief? Well, it's just like, I should be able to do this. I want to do this. And it's like, you know what? Maybe this isn't for me, right? I mean, I'm sure you're familiar with all these, you know, morning routines people love to talk about, right? And it's like, you know, wake up, hit the sun for 10 minutes, then go for a walk, then do... It's like, you can go absolutely crazy trying to do all these things. Like, do you. Like, do you. Do what works. And I think, yes, there has to be some... Uh, initial like trial period and practice mm. as I like to say like if you do something long enough it's a practice it feels weird it's unnatural at first eventually it becomes a routine and then if you do that routine long enough it becomes a habit mm. right and I was not I, I did the practice of meditation for a while it just I I wasn't clicking from it how long was the practice and what was the routine a month I'd a sit month. still for in a chair for 10 minutes yeah um,
0: it, it's like alright so someone tells you alright um, I want to get better fitness and I want to be in better shape. I'm going to work out for a month. And you'd be like, what do you mean? Like, it's it's a lifelong practice. It's right. not a month. Right. And so it's just about if the rewards are worth it for you, you know?
1: Yes. And I found that, like, I can use those. I could have used those 10 minutes towards my workout. Interesting. And to me, you know, for me, yeah. working out is my therapy. Yeah. That's my meditation. Yeah, yeah. Fair. Um, And it was like, I'd rather put this time to that. Yeah. Um. Whereas I think with exercise or nutrition, I think the reward is very clear of you know longevity, vitality, more energy, et cetera.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because I think there's a lot of things that we can't measure in this moment that are going in the future when we have tools to measure. All right, you meditate this much, your energy levels increase this much. We don't have ways to actually measure that in this moment unless you're writing down at the end of the day. All right, this was a great day and you can track that and correlate that to the Meditation, but it's um, uh, we're a very metric-driven society in general and an externally-driven society as well. And that leads us to not care for and appreciate some of the inner journey that goes on. And we don't have good ways to measure those yet, but we will eventually, I
1: think. As we call them with our clients, like non-scale victories, Mm -hmm. you know, not everything is tangible, right? Non-scale
0: victories? Right. What does that mean exactly? Like,
1: you know, a scale victory would be the weight, you know, the, the, the scale and the weight the scale the weight on the scale goes down right um whereas like a non-scale victory it's like oh actually i was able to totally avoid this food that always has a pull on me or you know i was able to exercise even though i didn't feel like it um just things that are just unrelated to the scale itself um you know and the tricky part to what you were saying also is like something i've learned is that you know doing the right thing and and happiness doesn't always necessarily feel happy in the moment Mm. um so like even with exercise or meditation it you know, for me, again, meditation didn't work for me, but like exercise, there are times where I don't feel like exercising. It doesn't necessarily feel happy in the moment, but afterwards I feel incredible. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: It's the difference between meaning
0: and happiness. It's like you, if you're doing things that bring you meaning, sometimes in the moment, you're not happy doing them. And I think often we don't, we chase happiness, but we don't chase meaning. And yeah, what's been your journey
1: with happiness and, and meaning? That's good. I mean, I call it like pleasure versus happiness. So yeah. pleasure to me are like the, sh- you know, the cookies or like watching Netflix or whatever it is. Like those are short term things. Um, you get a quick high, but then they fizzle very quickly and then you wind up feeling bad afterward. Whereas happiness or meaning even more so is it might not necessarily feel great in the moment. Sometimes it does, but the after is incredible. Mm-hmm. Right. And ultimately, I think we want to do things that make us feel good before during and afterward, right? So before, like sometimes if we're doing something that we know might not make us feel good, there's trepidation, should I do this? Should I not do this, right? You want something that makes you feel good before, during, ideally, but sometimes it doesn't. Exercise could be, you know, torture during it, but it's also, you know, I love self-imposed discomfort, but then afterward I feel a lot very comfortable. Mm. Um, and then afterward I feel incredible. So ideally you want something that makes you feel good before, during, and after. Um, and I think that, you know, talks to your point about meeting.
0: Yeah, absolutely. How many people have you coached over the last 15 years? Thousands. Thousands. Yeah. I'm sure there are a couple of stories that stick out to you in terms of transformations, mental, physical, and, and just people who have changed their lives as a result of the things that you've helped them implement. Are there any that you could share here that maybe could inspire somebody or help somebody in the beginning stages of their own journey?
1: Yeah. I mean, one thing I've learned, um, which I think is fascinating is I can only help someone solve their problems until I find out why they like having their problems, Mm. right? You can only help someone solve their problems until you find out why they like having their problems. Wow. And that is like a huge kind of lead into how I help clients because it's like, well, how is this serving you, right? How is this behavior serving you? And ultimately, every behavior, positive or negative, is serving us in some way. Um, And when you understand how a behavior is serving them, especially a negative one, it's like, all right, well, let's talk about that and then let's work on replacing that um but to like specific examples i mean you know there there's i mean there's literally thousands i mean you know um it's like like someone asking
0: me what's your favorite podcast episode like (laughs) it's like your children yeah exactly
1: (laughs) good luck right i mean you know i have my boys zachary nasher i i will never answer that and it's you know it's uh it's impossible because you love them equally and they each you know it's different forms of love
0: yeah no, but but like, are there any maybe in the last like six months that you've been like, wow, like I'm really impressed with this person, or I because I, I want people to to really understand and connect with a story that has
1: been that you've been moved by in some way. Yeah, so I mean, there was this one client, um, you know, we'll call him David, um, and he came to us. You know, he he tried everything under the sun; nothing was working. And he, again, he was what I call a tactic chaser. He was just, every month he was onto this, right? So one month it was vegan, one month it was paleo, one month it was IF. Like he was just nonstop, just constantly, you know, going from one thing to the next. I'm like, mm-hmm. what would happen if you actually just committed to one thing and no matter what, you're gonna you're gonna follow through, right? Mm-hmm. You, or I shouldn't say follow through because that's where we come in, but no matter what, you're gonna work on getting through that resistance, right? That FDR, that fear, discomfort, doubt, and resistance. Um, and just trust us in the process. Um, and that was very hard because some people, I, I think we're all hardwired to, like, want that shiny object, right? That new shiny thing, that new shiny diet. Um, so he committed to it. And, you know, s- you know, slowly but surely, you know, he's sticking with it. We're getting through those mental barriers, those mental roadblocks. Um, and it's incredible because he's lost, like, 40 pounds already. Um, he feels better. He has a ton of energy for his kids. Like, to me, that is the best thing ever. Um, my favorite part of all these transformations, you know, is... The mental transformation, right? Because sure, it's nice to look great, it's nice to feel great, but to me, it's—I love when clients say, "What's next? What else can I do?" Because you know, I like to say, like when you realize your your body's potential, you can realize your overall potential. When you conquer yourself, you feel like you can conquer the entire world.
0: Yeah, this podcast and doing two hundred seventy plus episodes is only a result of me first getting in shape first, because I realized I could apply the same exact principles that I used and do this podcast and it's not going to be what it is in the beginning and it'll slowly get better over time and this isn't what it'll be in five years but that's the beauty of it and so i think that's the key part about fitness especially is like you don't just
1: stop at fitness you realize this is something that i can do for the rest of my life it's applicable to every aspect of life um and you know there's i mean two things come off to you know come to mind like you know that fitness related skills that apply to everything. Number one is the practice of starting something even when you don't feel like it, mm. right? So this is my life's work. This is, I'm gonna do this till the day I die. There's still days where I don't feel like exercising, mm. right? There's still days where I, I might not necessarily eating feel like eating nutritiously, mm. but I still do it. That practice of starting when you don't feel like it and also the practice of recovering when you don't have a great workout or a great day or a great meal, mm. right? So self-compassion is really, really important. Because I think so many of us are so hard on ourselves. It's like the moment we mess up, it's like, oh, screw it. I'm just done. I'm done, right? (laughs) And like that practice of recovering right away, making a U-turn right away is so powerful. Yeah, 100%. What
0: separates the clients that you have that actually make physical and mental transformations and those that don't?
1: I would say simply it's the, some are just unwilling um, and they admit it. They're unwilling to do the work mentally in terms of, there's just a lot of things that come up, right? Food is a coping mechanism. Um, food helps us, you know, de-stress, it helps us avoid our problems, it helps us, you know, distract ourselves. So when you're getting to the root of the issue and we're obsessed with that, because we're obsessed with sustainable success, mm. like we're like we we're committed to making my body two to the last program our clients do. Mm. In order to do that, you have to change what's going on between your ears, right? You have to change that and you have to get to those things. And sometimes clients are just like, I'm not ready for this. Um, it happens, it doesn't happen all that often, it happens, it happens rarely, but when it does, it's, I get it. And it's like, we, I can't make someone ready. I can't make someone wanna do that work. Um, but we certainly try to make it as easy as possible, as comfortable as possible, but no matter what, they have to face those things.
0: How do you face the, the parts of
1: yourself that you don't wanna face? It's hard, but I think that's where coaching comes into play. I think that's where having support comes into play. Yeah. I think that's where having proven tactics to come, in, come into play. Um, you know, starting small, right? And, and it's, it's so, it sounds so simplistic, but it's like, let's just try this this one time, right? Tonight, let's see how this feels. Not for the rest of your life, not, you know, f- you know forever. It, it, let's just try this tonight. For example, it's like, you know, every night I need ice cream. Like, that's how I kind of wind down the day. Let's try one time. Let's see what happens. Just one time. See how it feels. One time, less ice cream. Yeah. One time, no ice cream. Exactly. Boys. Right, and that's just a very overly simplistic version. But that it's just like let's just try, you know, we, and we break it down. And it's also having someone there you can lean into, right? You can talk with your your, your issues about.
0: Yeah, it, it's really a remarkable service. What aspects or what areas of life do you think the fitness coaching that you do and the fitness accountability? Where else could we use this sort of accountability in in lives and habits? How how could you? Not expand your own operation, but what other ideas do you come across for businesses that are similar to yours
1: that you've thought about? So, I mean, I've had a lot of people come to me, hey, you should do this for money. Money. Um, managing money, budgeting. Interesting. Um, I've had a lot of people throughout the years, um, relationships, hmm. you know, ha- you know, accountability around relationships, making time for people. Um, I mean, it's limitless, right? Yeah. Um, but it's also... Um, I mean, it's, it's limitless, but it's also, is there a market for it? Um, do people, are people willing to pay to solve this problem? Um, you know, but in terms of, in terms of aspects of life, facets of life, I think it's, it's truly limitless.
0: Yeah. And also like, does that problem call to you in a way that makes it your life's mission, right? Like people can hop on a new idea or a new trend, but then it's like, does it really call to their heart? And that's what they'll find out a year into it. If people aren't subscribing.
1: Yeah. So for me, I call it like it's like opportunity versus mission. Mm. So like, you know, I I remember when Groupon was hot, like there was like, I don't know, hundreds of thousands Groupon clones. Right. Right. That's an opportunity. You're chasing opportunity when you're chasing a mission. You're it's it's your success is inevitable because you're not ever going to stop. Right. Your success is inevitable. I just I could tell I can hear what you say. Like you're going to keep doing this no matter what. I will keep doing this no matter what. This is my life's work. This is a mission for me. If you're chasing an opportunity, then eventually you're going to be on to the next opportunity. Yeah.
0: I appreciate you saying that and it is true and but I just want to help people get to that place themselves. What, are there any stories of friends of yours who have or yourself who have found their mission unexpectedly and how have they gone about finding their mission unexpectedly? Does anything come to mind for you? Hmm. Um I'm trying to think. Yeah, I mean it's it's tough, right? Because right. like I think I want this podcast to be a place where people could be like, "Huh, I never thought I'd find my mission in that place." Or they, them to look at themselves in a way. I know for me, meditation was a a key part in me finding my mission. That's why I speak about it so yeah. excitedly and and journaling too. And so I want more people to do that because the better you get to know yourself, the better you can totally. get to know your potential mission.
1: Totally. Well, I mean, it's it's interesting. I'm trying to think, you know, it's like I feel like with my friends that are entrepreneurs or, or started their own thing or it's like so ingrained who they are, I don't even remember like their light bulb moment. Mm. Um, but I will say this about passion. I think a lot of people think passion just comes to you. It's like a lightning bolt. I think ultimately people are passionate at things they're good at, mm. um, which is a big distinction. Um, and it also could be like, hey, what, am I, what do I want to get good at? Mm. Because if you're really good at something, you're likely going to be passionate about it. Um, although that's not always the case. Um, Were you good at accounting? No, but um, I also, you, I, I mean, I was, I was, I guess I was okay. I mean, I got a job at, a, at the big four accounting firm, um, but th- like just today I spoke with a, you know, a lawyer who is a partner at one of the best law firms in the world. You know, clearly they're very good at what they do, but you know, they're not passionate. Yeah. So it's, it's tricky, but I think, I do think you have to be good at it for, to be passionate. Um, I'm trying to think though, how can we help people find that? I mean, again, I think it's what means a lot to you. Um, if money were no issue, I think that's big, what would you do? Mm. Um, because I think a lot of people chase money, chase an opportunity, and I think that, I, I, that doesn't last, in my opinion. Mm. Um, so I think it's what would you do if money were, were no object? If someone gave you, you know, all the money in the world, what would you choose to work on? Yeah. And, and if someone says nothing, I want to sit on the beach, and they're not the type of person I think that likely will have a mission.
0: Or maybe something about the beach is calling to them. Perhaps. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, but one, one thing that I always ask
0: people is like, what would you do if you had a year to live? And that's not necessarily what you should actually do, but it sometimes gets people in the right frame of mind of thinking, oh, like I would quit this or do this. And it can be a helpful way to push someone to do what's
1: actually calling to them. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, if I had a year to live, I mean, I, I, mean, yeah. I, I spent a ton of time with my kids, Zachary and Asher. Um, so, I mean, I, would, I guess I would, I would certainly spend as much time with them as possible. But I would still do MBT because it's so important to me. I, I know, actually, something that just came to mind is like, do you have a book in you, right? Mm-hmm. If, like there's, there's something in you that you need to get out. Maybe that's your mission. And if, again, you know, I think that could be helpful. But your question is also like, how do we get that out of someone? But I don't know. If you had to write a book, what would the book be about? Yeah. For you, well, what well, is Well, for the- me, it would be about you know health and fitness, but for me, my book, and eventually I'm going to write a book, yeah. um, it's gonna be way more about the mindset, psychology, and habits of weight loss. Um, there's been a billion diets out there. You know, 10% of all best-selling diet books, or I should say 10% of all best-selling books are diet books, hmm. yet it's the same people who keep buying the books year after year, right? They're not changing behavior, they're not changing relationships with food, etc. So our book, my book will be about, you know, how do you actually change your mental and psychology and habits? because um, that's what's going to lead to sustainable success. I know you've been probably writing this book for the last 15 years in your head. Have you actually put pen to paper? Not yet. I, I, I sincerely believe at this point, people don't need another book. Um, I really believe in coaching and, and what we offer. Um, so at this point, I have not. Um, but eventually we'll get there. Remember,
0: you also thought the same thing about social media. And so maybe another book is, is needed and in store. But uh, I like to end these podcasts with, A challenge for people and we spoke about so much of fitness mission purpose your own journey into that but I'd love to know what's a challenge you can leave people with to become the best version of themselves
1: so one of my mantras is uh, discomfort is your compass Mm. and what I mean by that is if you do what you've always done it's going to feel natural it's gonna feel comfortable Mm. right it's just gonna feel like everyday life if you do something differently it's going to feel uncomfortable and that's the idea, right because if you keep doing what you've always done you're going to keep getting the same results you've always gotten so you want to let discomfort be your compass um, because again if you're doing something differently you're going to get to you're going to get to close to where you want to be so my challenge to you would be let discomfort be your compass right so it could be as simple as taking the stairs instead of the elevator it could be going one extra rep it could be talking to someone that you might not normally talk to it could be sending an email that you might not feel comfortable doing um, those are examples of you know, of discomfort. So my challenge is find an area of discomfort and go for it, seek it.
0: What was the last time in your life that you used discomfort as your compass?
1: I use discomfort every single day. So for me, I love self-imposed discomfort. This morning I worked out, like I love just torturing myself. It's it's just very, um, self-imposed discomfort brings me a lot of comfort. Um, So I love that because I find that when I, uh, put myself through discomfort, and it enables me to deal with the inevitable ups and downs in life. Yeah, but Adam, like you're,
0: you've been lifting weights since you were probably in fifth grade or something crazy like that. So is that
1: really discomfort, like for you to like go through a training session? It is because like there, I mean, there are times where I'm a little nervous before a training really? session. I work out by myself. I blast music. What are you nervous about? Because I know how uncomfortable it's going to be. I know, it, it, it's, it, I know how uh, painful it's going to be. Interesting. But, I mean, obviously, there's a part of me that likes it. Otherwise, I wouldn't do it. But, like, there is definitely a part of me that, like, if I have a tough day, uh, like, I, I'm. there's a part of me that's like, oh. And one of the things I've learned is we spend more energy resisting a task than if we were to just do it. Mm-hmm. So it's like there are times, you know, especially back in there, it'd be like, oh, I have to work out, I have to work out. And I wind up talking about working out for hours. It's like, just do it. Yeah. Obviously, easier said than done, but it's just do it. Um, so yeah, I love
0: it. Well, Adam, thank you so much for your time. I'm so grateful for you. Where can we send people to connect with you further?
1: Yeah. So you can go to mybodytutor.com. That's our website. You can find us on all the socials, Instagram, Twitter, uh, TikTok, um, all the platforms, all the platforms. Um, yeah. So, you know, we I'm always available. I pride myself on being, you know, available. So if you ever any, have any questions or anything, feel free to reach out. Um, yeah. And I wanted to thank you, you know, um, I've been fortunate to be on a bunch of podcasts. Um, I was looking forward to this for a long time. Uh, you're very thoughtful. You could tell, I could tell you do your research. Um, I think there's a lot of podcast hosts that kind of like their MO is like, well, I don't do any research because I just want to let the conversation, you know, happen naturally. And it's like, yes, but you could tell they're just not doing any work. Um, and there's no doubt in my mind that you're going to get to where you want to be. Um, I actually brought you a little gift. <laughs> um, I wanted you to, uh, should I open it now? Yeah, sure. I think I think your uh, people might appreciate it. Oh, baby. Actually, turn it the other way. Okay. What do we got here? This
0: might be the second gift on camera. Oh, wow. This is awesome. You never know how close you are. Never give up on your dreams. This and, is beautiful. Wow. And, and then on the back, I wrote, you can read that. Wow. Danny, don't ever be that guy. The sky's the limit. See you at the top. Adam Gilbert,
1: what a way to end this podcast. I'm so grateful for you. Yeah, man. My biggest fear is being that guy on the bottom. When I say don't be that guy, Mm -hmm. that's the guy. I got you.
0: Understood. Loud and clear. Thank you so much, man. You mean the world to me. Thank you.